Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. Bodie was one of California's biggest towns with a population of some 10,000, a rival to Los Angeles and San Francisco. 2,000 buildings, 200 restaurants that often stayed open 24-7, just like the hillside mine did, working a load of gold. And then, as fast as Bodie grew, when the gold played out, Bodie died. There's a lot that's here. This is the largest unrestored ghost town in the country. Greetings, hushlings, hustronauts, and hushtillions. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our paranormal investigator, archaeologist, and historian, Slick Frog Sanders. Frog Sanders here! (laughs) (laughs) What's up? How we doing, boys? Uh, Sweaty. Yeah, glistening. Sweaty. Like a glazed donut. It's hot in here, Bobby. Man, oh man, the things we do for this show. <laughs> we sweat for you, hushlings. All of our patrons are going to get a sweaty recording t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it out into a water bottle. <laughs> sweat on the internet. <laughs> yeah, screw the bath water. <laughs> Society sweat. The preceptor's perspiration. <laughs> you guys are sick. Join us as we gather our EMF readers, flashlights, and our wits. We embark on an expedition to some of the world's most infamous ghost towns and abandoned places. We'll be traveling to the desolate expanses and forests of the Americas, then crossing the pond over to Europe, as well as places in California, British Columbia, Pennsylvania, Ukraine, and some honorable mentions. Spooky stuff. Yeah, let's get spooky. But before we disappear into thin air, be sure to check us out on all our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. As always, you can come watch The X-Files with us every Sunday at 7 p.m. in our Discord server. Discord's very easy to download. You can find the links on our website. As always, the official website for all things Hush Hush Society, www.hushhushsociety.com. It's a great website. Check it out. It is a nice little website. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say that it's like a 2040 type of website, you know, like very futuristic, lots of crazy moving parts, but it's definitely not like a Windows 97 web one type of read only website. No clickable viruses. It's like a children's book. There's lots of pictures. Very little words. (laughs) (laughs) Click, 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 click. Well, on that website, you can find all of our episodes. You can browse our blog section and find all of our links to everywhere. You can also leave us a review right on our site. Tell us we're awesome. Give us five stars. And this helps us to improve the show and be all we can be. Isn't that an army slogan from like, yeah, (laughs) that was like an old, like mid 2000s army slogan. It would mean the world to us if you left a rating. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and our updated YouTube. It's amazing. Catch all the videos there before YouTube takes them all down. We're close to being gone from YouTube. Strike one! (laughs) (laughs) For those who aren't in the know, we have a Patreon. We've been pushing it, but in case you haven't heard, we do have a Patreon. And for $5 a month, you can play a vital part in the society. Hustlings gain access to exclusive monthly debriefings, conspiratorial news with the Frank Factor, which includes myself and Declassified Dave, as well as cryptid erotica by Mystery Mike to make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. It's it's really magical stuff. Hmm. By becoming a patron, you'll also get free merch drops. That happens every three months or so. We'll send you some cool stuff. You also get news and early episode releases, as well as patron shoutouts. And speaking of, let's shout out a few of our patrons that have recently joined into the society and become true hushlings. Just to name a few, don't mind me while I read. We have 
and thank you to everyone. Alyssa Facet, Shay Nine, Claire Bonner, Kathleen Newberg, Max, no last name, very mysterious, and Colin Otwell. Thank you all so very much for becoming Hushlings and joining the Patreon. We hope that you enjoy all the extras, all the cool stuff, all our silky voices for hours on end. And for those of you who haven't gone over to our Patreon and checked out what you can get and experienced all the wonder, you can go over to www.patreon.com forward slash Hush Hush Society. Well, boys, I think we should start in the great state of Connecticut, all our fellow nutmeggers. There's a town in Connecticut called Dudley Town, and most people stay far, far away from this peculiar destination. The Warrens declared it demonically possessed in the 1970s, but it has been abandoned since the 1800s. Weren't the Warrens like scam artists? It says you. It varies depending on who you're talking to. But following their father's beheading, the Dudleys fled to America in hopes of avoiding the family curse. However, their association with a mythological book thought to open the gates of hell. Interesting. And it condemned them and anyone who befriended them. Not good friends to have. Murder, suicide, insanity, and failing businesses afflicted the community they founded. Have you guys ever been to Dudley Town? Right here in good old CT? No, I haven't. (laughs) I've seen pictures. I know people who have, but I haven't been. I think it's all just foundations, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of foundations in the woods of New England, though everywhere it is new england though new england is old old yeah sometimes we forget how old did you guys know that there are over 3500 ghost towns in the united states mostly from the frontier era and the 19th and 20th centuries Ooh. oh yeah yeah i know there's tons tons and tons and tons dead country dead country <laughs> dead country <laughs> There's this town called Centralia in Pennsylvania, which is now nearly abandoned, going from 1,000 residents all the way down to five due to a coal mine fire that's been burning beneath the borough since 1962. I've never been to Centralia. It's something I want to go. How come I can barely keep a fire going for more than like six hours? (laughs) Because you're not a fossil fuel. (laughs) That's true. true. The town has been made more famous because of some adaptations of the video game and films Silent Hill. Although it's based in West Virginia, it's not too far away. West Virginia has got a pretty gnarly mining community as well. Mm, Yes, they do. Its history dates back all the way to the Civil War, and the first two mines in Centralia opened in 1856, just a year after the Centralia Massacre. Have you guys ever heard of the Centralia Massacre? No, I have not. I haven't until I, I researched this. Yeah, it's very interesting. It does sound interesting. I thought it was just the uh, the fire town, so there's more to it. It was very similar to the Boston Massacre. There was like 15, I think it was 15 Union soldiers were murdered there, but more of an execution. Did they get sneaked? And I think they got tied to posts and shot. Did they get snuck up on? Did they, get they got suicided, yeah. On May 7th, 1962, the town held a meeting on how it would go about cleaning up the 300-foot-wide, 75-foot-long pit made up of a 50-foot-deep landfill in the strip mine that had been cleared by Edward Whitney in 1935. It's pretty big. 300 feet by 75 and then 50 feet deep. And mind you, it was cleared by this one dude. (laughs) Can you imagine just the one guy? Yeah, cleared by Edward Whitney. Just Edward Whitney. Legend by himself. Legendary. Well, the town decided that there was a fire to be ignited to clean the dump up on May 27th of 1962. Water was used to douse the visible flames. Ultimately, the town was never able to put out the fire, and it still burns to this day. That's a lot of earth thoughts. <laughs> You're so environmentally conscientious, you know that? <laughs> I respect that about you. A number of theories have risen from the ashes about the source of the mine fire. One of them claims that the fire may have been started before May 27th of 62. 
Another theory is that the fire was burning long before the alleged trash dump fire. According to local legend, the Bass Colliery Coal Fire of 1932 set alight by an explosion was never fully extinguished, so it was just smoldering and smoldering and smoldering for a couple of decades before the fire got really bad, apparently. There is the idea of spontaneous combustion being the reason for the start of the landfill fire, which is a theory accepted for many years by state and federal officials. Can you imagine if that fire has been burning for like 90 years now? Hell is beneath that town. Yeah, if we're talking about 1932 when they're thinking that this coal fire originally started it. Yeah. It could have been burning this entire time just underneath up until the 60s. And this town didn't even know about it. They're just breathing all that shit in. It's just weird. Is there that much oxygen down there for a fire to like do that for night? Well, that's years? the question. I mean, was it was it taking in oxygen from the entrances of mine shafts, creating some sort of like crosswind or something? Yeah, because you got to think like a lot of coal mines and stuff of that sort, like we were talking about West Virginia. A lot of those are spidered out in many different directions. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about an area that had a coal mine set up, there's probably a bunch of tunnels leading through that underground and they're getting kind of that crosswind that comes in and in one end and out the other, stoking those flames, I guess. But how do you not notice that? How do you not know that that fire or at least part of that fire has been burning for years and years? It wouldn't make sense that only, like, I guess 50 feet could stoke an entire fire in a whole mine. I mean, did the mine collapse? I think there's parts of the mine that obviously would have collapsed. But if they're just using a strip mine, because a strip mine is obviously, it's a different looking mine than, like, burrowing in like a gold mine. It's on the surface, more or less. I was in a gold mine in Julian, California. And if you're ever up there, take that tour. It's fucking crazy. But once you get down a couple levels, it gets harder to breathe. There's no real oxygen. So it wouldn't make too much sense of why it would just sit there and just smolder. And this is a coal mine though, right? You still require oxygen to burn though. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how much coal is down there. It still needs some sort of oxygen to keep it going. Mm -hmm. It's creepy. If there was a huge fire right you're walking down the street or like walking in the park if there was a fire massive fire 50 feet beneath you would you really be able to tell maybe not but at some point there has to be some sort of exhaust point wouldn't you see smoke of some type especially like black smoke if it was coal that was burning <laughs> these were yeah. real ignorant civilians they did not give a shit it's just light a dump on fire that's definitely the fires of hell. You see all those <laughs> yeah. sinners, they're down there burning. <laughs> That's probably what hear, they told their kids. <laughs> you hear yeah. their screams? You hear their scream? They're screaming. They've been sinning. Don't go near the cave entrances. They're the gates to hell. You remember your friend Samantha? She was holding that boy's hand. Now she's burning in hell. Oh, my God. I'm not saying that's the way that people from Centralia speak, but, you know. We can pretend it is. Sorry, five people in Centralia. What are they still doing there? I mean, they don't want to leave. I think it was 2010, it said, that there were five mm. residents, so 12 years. But in 1984, Congress allocated more than $42 million for relocation efforts for most of the residents, except for the five. <laughs> you five stay. We ran and out of money. <laughs> And in 1992, Governor Bob Casey invoked imminent domain on all properties in the borough, condemning all the buildings within, ending with a formal eviction in 2009. Yeah, so 2009, everybody got kicked out. Yeah, except for the five. Author David DeCoke states, quote, This was a world where no human could live, hotter than the planet Mercury. I don't know about that. I don't know. Its atmosphere is poisonous as Saturn's. Again. Mm. At the heart of the fire, temperatures easily exceeded 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Lethal clouds of carbon monoxide and other gases swirled through the rock chambers. I like the wordplay of Mr. David DeCock. But I don't think it's as poisonous as Saturn. Yeah, I think he's really exaggerating a little bit here. <laughs> he must have just read some sort of 
book of, uh, about the planets or read a little uh, blurb. Oh, yeah, yeah. I heard that Mercury is pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> Saturn's kind of poisonous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the town, of course, has endless tales of ghosts and creatures roaming the night. Alexander Ray's spirit condemns all who comes and laughs at his flop of a town. He had plotted out the original Centralia, laid out the streets and lots for development. He was fully dedicated. It was his baby. There's also the dark beast who's covered in fur stalking the streets. There's also imps and goblins released from their underground prisons by the raging inferno. Ooh. All boils down to hell. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I was saying at the beginning of this little talk on Centralia. It's literally like hell is burning beneath this town. The Dark Beast, this is in the pretty closer in the Appalachian Mountains. So, Bigfoot, maybe. Hmm? Maybe he's the one that set the fire. Bigfoot started the fire. Fuck this town. Fuck this town. Fuck this town. Fuck this town. There's also the hanged leaders of the Molly Maguires, and they drag their feet around the town and reenact crimes on the street. So they're like, Pew, 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 with their six shooters. Imagine just seeing a bunch of ghosts, like, having a draw. And you're just like, what the fuck are these guys doing? <laughs> They're haunting each other. But the Molly Maguires, that was a secret society that I wanted to use for one of our live shows. We haven't yet, but I think we mm. should. I thought they were just, like, train robbers. Yeah, but it's a secret society. It's a secret train robbing society. Weren't they the ones that, like, just destroyed Henry Wells? Just pillaged Wells Fargo Bank Ch- chariots, not chariots, <laughs> fucking chariots. Chariots that were in Rome. <laughs> oh they man! Brought up on their chariots. It's real <laughs> badass. Yeah, yeah, it is. Being uh, dirty is cool. Also, gentlemen, about two hours away, there is the town of Dixonville. And in the early 1940s, two mining inspectors received a frantic call about a collapsed shaft. They rushed to the accident site where they found 15 coal miners now helplessly trapped. I can't imagine that it was that odd around that time to hear about coal mines collapsing and miners dying or getting trapped. I would think that was a pretty regular thing. And all the meanwhile, these people probably didn't get paid nearly enough. No. No. 25 cents a day. Probably something crap. Sick. (laughs) According to a document, there were hostile subterranean lizard people, and they encountered them underground. First responders noticed a lifeless body laying on scattered debris. His skin was lacerated with claw-like marks from an unknown creature. More corpses soon surfaced. The deceased miners had identical gruesome injuries. All had succumbed to these horrific wounds. Despite scouring the deep tunnel, several miners were still missing. Additional personnel joined the search party in hopes of retrieving survivors. Wow. So now we're getting into lizard people. This is Yeah, it was, it's that's really weird, right? You think there's lizard people underneath Pennsylvania? Maybe that's why the fires are kept going to keep them warm. They blew up one of their own bases by accident. Oh shit, Phil. That would be a great place for lizard people to hide out. An abandoned town that is on fire subterranean level. Yeah, and you did make a good point with the heat. Their scaly skin needs... What politicians are from, from Pennsylvania? That's kind of crazy, though. I Yeah, that's You know, it reminds me of... I believe when we were talking about Hollow Earth, where... There's a lot of different civilizations. We've mentioned it before, but there's a lot of different civilizations that believe in people that come from underground and creatures that come from underground and even accounts of them seeing that these creatures had submerged from underground caves or different holes in the earth. I wonder if that's something that tracks kind of with maybe locals or people around the area. 
I would love to know if people around that area, maybe in West Virginia, like we were talking about, Kentucky, where there's those huge cave systems, if the locals have seen anything, especially around those areas of old coal mines or cave systems. That'd be interesting. Well, we'll reach out on the social media, see uh, who's in the Appalachia area. If you live around caves, please let us know if you've seen anything wild, ridiculous, otherworldly coming from those caves. Scaly. Biden's from Pennsylvania. Are you talking about President Joseph Robin Biden? Byron, yes. Byron is a reptilian, and this confirms it. There's nothing else that matters in the world right now. You heard it here first, people. Hush Hush Society is saying that President Biden is a reptilian. Reptilians can't ride bikes. <laughs> Reptilians fall upstairs. I'm just saying. It makes so much sense. Emergency workers eventually found a mysterious passage to a huge cavern. At one point, one of the inspectors observed one of the creatures. He saw something enormous, scaled, reptilian running away. He stated that thing was not of this world. It was probably Byron. Biden started the fire. <laughs> Centralia is probably all done by the reptilians so they could have the poisonous land. Wouldn't it make sense, though, like if the air around it's poisonous so they can surface? No, that doesn't. That makes no sense to me. What planets did he say? He said it's hot as Mercury and poisonous as Poisonous what? as Saturn. Saturn. Saturn's rings. How many times have we talked about Saturn? Uh-huh. Mm. Maybe Dave mm. was onto something. Oh, you no, know, you're right. I'm sorry. I take that back, Dave. I take what take I said it. back. Hold on. There's lines being drawn here. Quick, Frank. Go to the board. <laughs> I need to put up more yarn. I think that's going to do it for Centralia. How do you guys uh, feel about moving on to the West Coast? Moving on to California. During the gold rush, the town of Bodie was a thriving mining town near the Nevada state line. The gold ran out and the town was abandoned. It became the Bodie State Historical Park in 1962. And it has been under watch by the National Park Service and kept in a state of, quote, arrested decay ever since quick question guys do you trust the national park service that was what i was just going to ask you that same question <laughs> because i've heard a lot recently about the national park service and there's a conspiracy there hey we like to think of them as the guys that just roam around the parks and they wear the short shorts and the cool hats and yeah. they get to you know interact with the hikers and whatnot but realistically they are a federal entity Yes. And there have been plenty of cases where they have maybe swept under the rug certain disappearances or maybe certain sightings that have happened in forests. Like the, the mystery staircases in the national parks. That's one I'd really like to touch on at some point. Beyond the disappearances and the sightings and the staircases, do you think that the National Park Service with all of that sketchy shit that happens, do you think that was planned? Like when Franklin Roosevelt instated this service, like was that their purpose to do some sort of crazy human trafficking, cover-up sightings sort of stuff? Or did it become that way throughout time? Maybe not way back when they were first incepted, but maybe over time, yeah. But I think in the beginning, there could have been disappearances. There could have been sightings of cryptids or anything else otherworldly in those forests and in those desolate areas. But I think that the United States especially has known about a lot of different supernatural things that have happened throughout our country. And they know about these different locations and I think they've known about these things for a long time. Of course, when you start up the National Park Service, you have just a network of agents pretty much across the country that are keeping these things in check and ever watchful eyes. It's very possible that they were started to keep these things from getting out. And the Smithsonian too, I guess National Park Service kind of go hand in hand. But I mean, who owns those? What is it like a Rothschild or something like that? I could be completely wrong. 
1859, William S. Bodie discovered gold near what is now called Bodie Bluff. A mill was established in 1861, and the population grew to an estimated 10,000 people at its peak from 1887 to 1881. By 1912, there were only a few residents left, and in 1917, the Bodie Railway was abandoned and its iron tracks were scrapped. The last mine closed in 1942. Due to shutting down all non-essential gold mines in the United States during World War II, mining never resumed after the war. A total of 170 buildings remain, and it has been named as California's official state gold rush ghost town. So you might be asking yourself, why is it considered a ghost town? And according to legend, anyone who tries to remove anything, even a rock, a little bit of gravel from this ghost town, would be punished. The curse of Bodhi has been the focus of rumor, ghost hunter lore, and internet talk for decades, and it promises poor luck health issues, and even unexplainable accidents. My question about this is, what if you're wearing hiking boots or something like that? You just have sand come off with you. Like, don't go there then. I don't think that counts. There's got to be a limit, right? A size yeah, limit, paranormal maybe. limit. Yeah, paranormal <laughs> size limit. No, I think it's the intent of taking something. If the dirt tracks on your boot like it is what it yeah. is but if you intentionally take something from this town odds are yeah you're getting hit with the curse of booty booty <laughs> maybe it tracks back to it being gold you know people who would come to a gold mining town and steal gold mm. maybe it's the whole intention of stealing something that makes sense the ranger station actually gets handwritten notes and letters about once a week, actually. And some of these letters state, one of them, quote, Dear Bodie, I'm sorry that I took this piece of metal from the town. I thought it was all a joke, but it wasn't at all. Things are happening that are very hard to explain. End quote. A couple more examples of these letters that were received. One says, Fair warning for anyone that thinks this is just folklore. My life has never seen such turmoil. Please take my warning and do not remove even a speck of dust. See, guys? Speck of dust. There it is. Yeah. Don't breathe the air. And another one goes on to say, You can have these godforsaken rocks back. I've never had so much rotten luck in my life. Please forgive me for ever testing the curse of Bodhi. Do you think these letters are real? We could go fuck around and find out. We could go find out. <laughs> it's a couple hours drive for me. Maybe like Dave said, that the rangers are the ones making up these stories so that nobody goes into a ghost town and starts fucking around and trying to steal stuff from there. There's just one delirious park ranger that's just writing handwritten notes. <laughs> <laughs> Better yet, it prevents people from going down into mines and getting trapped, which at that point, the rangers would be put in a position where they have to go on to this whole rescue mission and save these people. It could be a ploy to stop people from doing that. But on the other hand, I wouldn't test it personally. They might be just trying to protect or preserve what's there. Mm. They don't say it so that nobody goes there. Don't they do tours through there? I'm sure anything? they do guided tours. I'm yeah. sure they do a bunch of stuff. It's got to be some sort of maybe not touristy, maybe touristy uh, type of spot. So they got to be getting some sort of something out of it, even if it's people that come through and they're donating to National Park Services. What if it's just the sheer fact that they don't want somebody to fuck up a town that's been left like that? You take a glass from a bar or a saloon and it's been there like nobody's moved it in 100 years or something like that. The Ghost Adventures guys went here. I looked up the Curse of Bodie and this popped up. Ghost Adventures investigation followed by unearthing of human body parts in jars. So just after they were there, there was like an excavation crew and they're digging up and they find all these mason jars. And it's got human bones in them. Wow. Freaky. Well, I'm sure there was a lot of murder in a town like that in the wild, wild west. Yeah. Yeah. There was also oh. something that not a lot of people talk about. Cannibalism. And mountain towns in general throughout like the 17, 1800s. There was really? cannibalism, especially when you start talking about lack of food, lack of crops, crops dying. You got to do what you got to do to survive, right? 
Nom 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 nom. Hushlings, we will return in a moment. Greetings, Hushlings. The boys are back and at it again as we explore America's involvement in harboring over 1,500 Nazi scientists, doctors, engineers, military brass, and even politicians after the end of World War II, absolving them of their war crimes and mixing them into all industries and aspects of American life. Join the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour for Debriefing 54, Operation Paperclip. Streaming everywhere Monday, August 8th, and will be available on YouTube on the Paranormal Network Tuesday, August 9th. Subscribe today. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. About 350 miles south in the Mojave Desert is the ghost town of Calico, and it's coincidentally a mining town that's been around since 1881 and it's since been abandoned except the bounty was silver and not gold which eventually lost its value in the mid 1890s a popular ghost in calico is the entity known as tumbleweed harris he was the last official marshal of calico he has frequently been spotted on main street's boardwalks he is easily identifiable by his enormous frame and bushy white beard. A woman named Lucy Lane is claimed to be one of the most often seen ghosts haunting Calico. According to the legend, Lucy co-owned Calico's general store with her husband, Robert John Lane. Visitors of Calico have regularly seen Lucy wandering between her former house and the general store. She is clearly identified by her clothing, and the gorgeous black lace gown in which she was buried. Mm. So hot. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of like apparitions and stuff if you're out there in the middle of nowhere. That's got to be creepy as shit at night. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Also, think about it this way. A lot of those old west towns have a lot of pain and suffering and murder mm. and violence attached to them. If we're talking about poltergeists or ghosts or spirits... They hang on to a lot of that stuff, which ties them to their surroundings and earth. I would imagine that a lot of these ghost towns, these old Western ghost towns, especially mining towns, as we've been talking about, would be pretty haunted. It also would make sense why if you took something, that item could have that type of energy. It's weird, though, that these abandoned mining towns, these old frontier type towns, they're just like the ones that never really made the cut. And they just so happen to be like these really messed up places with these crazy histories. And they were just like never further built upon. At some point, a group of people just walked away and gave up on it. Why don't we get out of the dirt, out of the muck, out of the coal, move north to Canada, the great white north. This next one does not have too many ghost stories to be found, but nevertheless, it's very creepy. When you think about a ghost town, you probably think of ruins, roofless houses, dirty broken windows, rotting floors, human remains, and mason jars. <laughs> <laughs> but in Kitsalt, British Columbia, you'll find rows upon rows of immaculately kept houses, shopping centers, restaurants, banks, pubs, theaters, everything that you're average modern day town and civilization has all of these abandoned and are sitting empty but untouched and spotless spotless you seen pictures of this town funky fresh yeah it's weird it reminds me of like nuke town from call of duty i feel like somebody should set up mannequins all throughout it or something i think that creepier is that a town looks like people just randomly one day got up from their kitchen table and they were like, all right, we're all leaving. Yeah. But it's not in like a decay state. It's upkept. That's the weird part about it. Even the town's lights are consistently on. There's power going to this town. And the streets have maintained trees. The lawns are all freshly mowed. Yet no one has lived there since 1982. Pretty weird, man. It was founded in 1979 as a home for mining employees. So another mine, another mine, another mining town. 
I guess that goes hand in hand with mining, right? The veins dry up and you got nothing left. No point and purpose to really be there. As I was saying, it was founded in 1979 for mining employees and it was a molybdenum mine. I've never heard of a molybdenum and it helps to generate strong, stable carbides in alloys. We use that at work. Oh, well, there you go. It's molly sheets. Our trays are made out of molly. The insides of the furnaces are made out of molly. I think it's almost similar, like corrosion resistance, like galvanized material, I guess. Just as life was getting underway, the molybdenum market crashed, and the whole village of 1,200 people abandoned it only 18 months after the town's full opening. It's a little odd, actually. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just yeah. continue to live there? Amax closed the mine, and they employed caretakers to keep the town in fair condition. And when it was sold to an American entrepreneur, he announced a full restoration of the town. How nice of him. Sewage and water systems were upgraded, buildings were renovated, and he talked about transforming the town into an eco-tourist destination. Can you imagine finding that without knowing about it? You just come across a town with nobody in it, and it's just perfect? I'd probably settle down. Yeah. <laughs> I'd just claim a house. Even worse, you make your way to the bedroom of the house, and you're like, all right, I'm going to go to bed. You go to sleep. You wake up the next morning, and you hear like a weed whacker going off, or like a mower. You look out the window, and there's just four people in similar jumpsuits they're all in uniforms just mowing lawns cutting everything then all of a sudden they stop they put their stuff away they get inside of a truck and they drive away it reminds me a lot i don't know why i just got chills like remembering it you recommended this really freaky movie to me where those people get like trapped in that community and they end up having that kid and it's like an alien and oh, then it gets taken away. Yeah, it reminded me of Vivarium. Dude, I'm getting like full body chills just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's freaky, freaky movie, dude. I think it would it would scare the shit out of me just it, more than walking up to a decrepit town. Because you're like, what happened to all the people? There's no animals. There's nothing. It is weird that all 1,200 citizens ended up leaving because it doesn't seem like the only work in the town was the mining like we mentioned there were facilities built supermarkets movie theaters stuff for leisure mm -hmm. where you could be employed you could be making income whereas with most of the other ghost towns we've mentioned it's mining communities and once the mine dried up the people leave that's the only work in the area but they created work and still structure they had yeah they, yeah exactly they had an economy know, it's spooky yeah. i feel like there's more to it i asked someone from canada the other day who lives around vancouver how far kit salt was to them 17 hours for them and they live in vancouver and i looked from here and it was about a one day 14 hour drive or something like that i wonder what the closest airport is that's all the way up by Alaska, kind of. It's up. This up reminds me very much of. Have you guys ever driven into a new development? New houses are being built. There's a bunch of maybe just really framed out houses, maybe like 10 of them or so, whatever, and usually mm -hmm. in a cul de sac. Have you ever driven into one before people have moved in? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've walked through them. That's what it feels yeah. like to me. Yep. So like all these shells are there and it's almost this perfect community, but no one is there. Except these are fully built houses with light switches that work. And and there's grass. How do you boys say we cross the pond to Europe? Let's do it. Jump the canal. It's a big canal. In northern Ukraine, near the border of Belarus, is the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, which is located in the adjacent ghost city of Pripyat. The hardest hit community was the city. It had a population of around 50,000 people. Now this one, everybody just kind of up and left. But this is what I mean. Hopefully all of our listeners know of Pripyat and Chernobyl disaster. But this is one of those ones where you can't go there. Well, I guess you can yep. now. On the afternoon of April 26th, 1986, reactor number four suffered a catastrophic accident. The disaster occurred during a safety test, ironic, on a nuclear reactor steam turbine. 
rather than shutting it down, an uncontrollable nuclear chain reaction commenced. The nuclear core melted, and two or more explosions burst it to bits, destroying the reactor and the building, and the open-air reactor core fire quickly followed. Boom. Chernobyl is very interesting. Did you guys watch the series on Chernobyl? Dude, wild. Wild. That was a crazy, crazy series. Pretty much anybody that was in the building was already dead. Whether they yep. were killed by the fire or explosion or were even close to the reactor. When a nuclear meltdown happens, it shoots radioactive ions throughout the atmosphere at the speed of light and those ions shoot through the human body and wherever it goes through it causes the necrotizing of cells so it immediately starts to kill the cells of the body where those enter the body and they were saying that these guys that had gone in to try to stop the fires were getting shot with like millions of ions of radioactive material. It starts to kill the cells and they're rotting from the inside out pretty much. That's fucking But that happens like really, really fast, right? It depends. But usually, yeah, I think they were saying that it was taking days for the guys to die, but it was really, really painful because hmm. you obviously feel like burning inside your body and then slowly your skin starts to get the boils and the burning and your skin ruptures pretty much. Yeah. Scary stuff, man. And that's, that's fucking wild. There's a lot more to what happened in the situation. This is just a quick rundown because we're, we're concerned about the ghost stories about this. The meltdown caused significant airborne radioactive pollution for roughly nine days, which spread to other regions of the USSR and Western Europe until eventually ceasing on May 4th of 1986. Seventy percent of the fallout fell in Belarus. Rising radiation levels off-site led to the establishment of a six-mile radius exclusion zone. Within 36 hours, around 49,000 people, mostly from Pripyat, were evacuated from the region. That was another thing that they showed in the series was what almost looks like ash falling down on the city. Mm. And that's actually radioactive material. So pretty much everybody who was getting hit with the ash was going to get cancer. Oof. Oof. Scary shit, dude. And they didn't even know it. That's the worst part. They didn't yeah. know it. They just knew that there was something going on at the plant. They thought that it was just a regular fire. And it's still widely spoken of as like the cleanest and safest energy option. Coal is terrible. But do people really know you put a star in a box and you can't turn it off? <laughs> That's kind of what we're dealing with here. So was it really safe? In their mind, they probably were just like, oh, those are the, the big fixture smokestacks and this is giving mm -hmm. us tons of power and we're not breathing in shitty coal air. They probably didn't even think twice about the fact that that thing could cause so much harm. I think that's a whole entire conspiracy within itself as to why nuclear energy hasn't been more utilized and we hyper-focused on fossil fuels and now the hyper-focus is switching to electric, right? Mm -hmm. Lithium and all that shit. Whereas with nuclear, yes, I do think it is the cleanest and safest. So when you look at it this way, cars in the 1980s, mid-1980s, when this reactor exploded and it brought a bunch of bad publicity to nuclear energy, Cars in the 1980s were not looking at carbon emissions whatsoever. We didn't know what we were doing to the environment, and it was kind of similar with nuclear. We didn't know what the repercussions could have been. We didn't know how to safely go about getting rid of nuclear waste or how to recycle nuclear waste. And nowadays, if they were to implement nuclear energy, I think it could be much more beneficial, much safer. They know how to recycle the waste, how to get rid of the waste in a safe manner, how to stop reactors from blowing up. They just cover it in concrete and put it 60 feet down and it's gone forever. It gets into the groundwater. No big deal. No big 
coffee. No, 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 no. As long as you put enough concrete. The Chernobyl exclusion zone spanned an area of nearly 1,000 square miles. The city sat in a state of continuous decay. Things were scattered around the city in place from the day the population was evacuated. And it still just sits there. Just random yep. stuff. In the accident's aftermath, 237 people suffered from acute radiation sickness. 31 of them died within the first three months. It's actually quite a low number for 50,000 people. I would have thought more. By the year 2000, the number of Ukrainians claiming to be radiation sufferers and receiving state benefits had jumped to 3.5 million, or 5% of the population. Okay, now that makes more sense. Wow. Yeah, 5% of the whole population. 14 years later, and it went from 237 people to 3.5 million. As a result, radioactive contamination of aquatic systems became a serious issue in the early aftermath of the disaster. I believe there was a water treatment plant that was in Pripyat as well that actually was the largest groundwater treatment plant in Europe, and it fed millions of people. So that could mm. be why the spike too. People are just drinking contaminated water for the last 30-something years. And that's in 2000, 3.5 million. There's probably more now, I would imagine. In 2011, the Ukraine state authorities said around 320 years would be the time of contamination. 3,000 years was estimated by the Christian Science Monitor in 2016. The same year, the Chernobyl director stated that it would be more like 20,000 years or even more. So it's kind of an unsettled debate as to how long this will be radiated and not mm -hmm. safe to be in. They must take levels and stuff to see. There's definitely a radiated animals and fish and different types of plants that have mutated because of the radiation over the last 30-something years. But I know that it's at least areas of the community you can go with, the, you need a Geiger counter probably just to make sure you're not stepping into something that's bad. But I know radiation levels are safe enough in certain areas for people to actually go there without breathing protection and stuff. Yeah. It's funny you mention animals and fish and stuff. There's actually an episode of River Monsters where Jeremy Wade goes to Chernobyl trying to catch this crazy mutated channel cat or something in Chernobyl. Don't forget when you're talking about the radiation levels, there was also a metal dome that was constructed around mm -hmm. the original Chernobyl plant. In 2017, they, they made this massive metal dome and it was moved remotely over the core part of the meltdown. They moved it over it and they encased it pretty much in this big metal dome. And supposedly that dropped the levels of radiation. Stop the actual, like, it. Yeah. yeah, like the movement really? of dust particles and stuff. Interesting. How about the creepy part? Andre Karsakov is a nuclear physicist from New York. What's with these Americans' names? They're like, they're crazy. <laughs> Paperclip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. Well, he told us one such story after visiting in 1997. The story goes, he went into the power station of the number four reactor, sarcophagus, and it's right over where the explosion occurred. He took radiation readings. As he was taking radiation readings, he heard someone screaming for rescuing them from a fire inside. That's creepy. He goes on to say, quote, I ran upstairs to tell someone, but they said that when I entered the reactor control room, I was the first person to open that door in three years. And the only way to get inside the old reactor was through the doors I came in through. If someone had gone inside the reactor when I was not looking, they would have tripped an alarm that goes off when the reactor doors opened mechanically. Very creepy. The reactor door requires a password and a handprint, yet someone or something was inside. Later that evening, as we were eating dinner outside the building by the river, next to the plant, a floodlight turned on in the room of the installation. There was no way anyone could be inside. As we ate, we figured there was a power surge or something. Just as my colleagues said that, the light turned off. 
I have a thought when it comes to this, and it's something that I previously said. If we're talking about ghosts, humans are mostly made up of electrical signals. Now add to that the element of torment or torture or pain or sadness. Then add in the element of nuclear power, maybe amping that up. I was talking about these radioactive ions, like who knows what they're really doing to your body. Physically, they're killing your body. But what are they doing to the electrical impulses of your body? What are they doing to the energy of your body? Are they transmuting that energy into something else? Could it be that this radiation, especially to the people that were in the plant at the time of this happening, could have transformed the spirit part of these bodies into something else? Mm, that's an interesting thought. It's an interesting take, and there's not a lot of places in the world where you would actually be able to get that if that were a thing. If it was a thing, I don't think there would actually be a lot of research on the subject or even experimentation or anything like that. I could definitely see that being a possibility. Mutation from beyond the grave. According to legend, several people began to see a large, winged creature with red eyes in early April before the Chernobyl disaster. Mothman. The creature be fucking Mothman. Which is which is interesting because Mothman is seen to be a bringer of destruction. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they saw him on that bridge before it collapsed. The creature became known as the Blackbird of Chernobyl, and many have drawn parallels between this creature and America's Mothman, like we said. Mm -hmm. Both creatures were supposedly seen right before disasters. Survivors of the Chernobyl disaster reported seeing the creature flying away from the reactor. Ooh. Yeah, that one that one caught me because isn't Point Pleasant in the TNT area, right? Which is an old munitions thing. I don't think we found out if those munitions had chemical agents or could have nuclear components, radioactive components. And then you bring into play all the sightings of UAPs, UFOs, whatever you want to call them flying over these nuclear reactors and it makes you think okay well if you have ufos over these reactors who's to say certain cryptids that may or may not be drawn to these locations aren't visiting and maybe they bring death and destruction along with them or the amount of energy from a nuclear power plant could that be causing a portal in that area That's something that we talked about when you were talking about the TNT area is there is a lot of sightings and there is a lot of cryptid related things near areas of high explosions. It's an interesting line to draw where you see these cryptids in those areas. Is it something that is, like you said, creating a portal or drawing these cryptids there or whatever it may be? There's some sort of connection there. I feel like there's some sort of connection there between certain cryptids and areas of radiation or high power or firepower, whatever it may be. That's really interesting stuff. Hushlings. We have to mention that there are so many countless towns. There's over 3,500 in just America alone that could have ghost stories associated with them. And like many of our topics... We could do many episodes on this. We probably could have done 30 or 40 pages on just ghost towns and talked about ghost stories associated with these towns. One thing we want to know is your ghost experiences. Let us know. Social media, send us an email, do it all. We want to know. Let's go through some honorable mentions of some other towns that have some creepy shit. Cahaba was once Alabama's state capital during 1819 and 1826 and was a thriving antebellum river town. It became a ghost town shortly after the Civil War. A ghostly orb has actually been spotted in a vanished garden maze, so I would imagine the garden maze is no longer there, Hmm. of the home of Cece Pegas. The South is real creepy too, man. South got a lot of creepy shit. All that Civil War shit. I did a ghost tour in Charleston, South Carolina. It was fun. You guys ever heard of Vulture City, Arizona? Well, there they have cold spots that are felt around the property, even if it's 105 degrees outside. Arizona sounds unbearable. Arizona is the hottest place I've ever been in my life. Some have heard, get out, 
in German, which was the original language of the settlement. A bunch of Germans would move to Arizona and name it Vulture. <laughs> it's weird. The cold spots is real weird to me because it's like undeniable. You need to actually experience it. You can't call bullshit on it. Like you could be watching TV, watching a paranormal show and they could say, oh, this is a cold spot right here. But at that point, it's beyond faulty equipment. It's beyond some sort of video editing capabilities. If you're in a spot where it's 100 degrees plus and you walk into a spot that's like 35 degrees, 40 degrees, even 50 degrees, and you feel that, there's not a lot of weather anomalies that happen that can cause that. That's paranormal. That's undeniable. Even if it was 80 degrees and it was 100 plus outside, you would be like, oh, yeah. 80 degrees feels like a refrigerator. Yep. <laughs> you're not in the shade it's just a, a weird cold spot. That shit's yeah, freaky. That would be freaky. We also have Benack, Montana, which is very well known for its cold spots and the apparition of a teenage girl. There's also the sounds of crying children, which are often reported by those visiting an old building there. The first sighting of the young girl was well over 100 years ago, and this teen is said to be that of a girl named Dorothy Dunn, who drowned in a dredge pond along the creek long ago. The town is featured on Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures. Dude, the sound of like little children either crying or talking or whispering, fuck all of that. Burn that town down. I have two things on that. This whole town with the young children and the giggling and the children's voices and cries. It's said that children, young kids have more of this sensation, this ability to pick up on the paranormal, this more like intertwined capability to pick up on those things, especially babies, toddlers, very young children. They see things that full-grown adults can't, and they can experience that sort of thing. And I wonder if that carries on to the other side. So if a child or an infant were to die unexpectedly or traumatically, if somehow they have more power or capability to communicate with this end of the spectrum, like how living children and toddlers can experience that end of the spectrum. You also have the fact that it's said that demons tend to mimic children, whether it be laughing or crying, bouncing toys around. That's a very popular demonic thing uh, for them yeah. to mimic children. So I wonder if this town is actually children or Dorothy Dunn strolling the town or if it's demonic shit sort of manifesting itself as children. Imagine if it was her. She's just like, ha, ha, ha just giggling around <laughs> yeah that's freaky dude that's freaky hushlings let's get into our reddit section this is where we combed the subreddits of reddit to find out any information regarding ghost towns that may be interesting or noteworthy let's take a look at alabama in alabama boaters occasionally hear the ghostly chimes of church bells rising from the depths of Lake Martin, which is submerged beneath Alabama's man-made lake. Ooh, that's something that always freaked me out too, is towns that have been intentionally flooded mm. to make a lake. That's another thing. Like Seattle. Seattle, little known fact or widely known fact, however uh, informed you are, Seattle is built on top of old Seattle. The city of Seattle is above the old city of Seattle because they built the old city of Seattle below sea level. So every time that winter would come around, it would flood out the city. They decided that they would build on top of the foundations of the old city. They have a tour in Seattle that you can do that's an underground tour that will take you through old Seattle underneath, underground. And it's very creepy. It feels like a very long, unfinished basement. But in reality, you're making your way around Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle. Anything that is underground or underwater that was supposed to be a city or a town, it, no. yeah. That brings up the mud flood thing, too. Could have just been below sea level. It's all over the world, all over the United States. If you live in an older city like Seattle, San Francisco, New York, 
you got layers of a city underneath the actual city that's there. So there's something to that that's pretty interesting. But this one was not flooded in the 1800s. This was flooded in the early 1960s, hmm. which is interesting. And it was because of the Alabama Power Company and the Tennessee Valley Authority. They flooded thousands of acres to create power sources. And some other communities were actually submerged, including Eastonville, Benson, Susanna, Waterloo, Riverton, and Irma. Plus, there was probably about 16 more towns that were on that list. In the 1960s, not too, too far away, wasn't like a colonial thing. I'm sure they didn't flood it. Imagine they flooded it while everybody's just sleeping. Oh, here you go. Open the floodgates. <laughs> like, hold your breath. 15,000 families were relocated across TVA service area of seven states. In addition, more than 30,000 graves were impacted. See, that's where mm. it's going to get. You're, you're disturbing the graves now. Ghost Lake. Ghost Lake. Nightmare. Yeah, can you imagine like scuba diving or something like that in like one of those lakes Ooh. and then you just come across a graveyard hundreds of gravestones Ooh. oh oh fuck yeah fuck that man if you're from alabama or any of those areas that <laughs> around lake martin currently i hope you don't swim in that fucking water okay boys we have reached the end we've reached the time where we will give our final thoughts on Ghost Towns. Declassified Dave, I would love to hear what you think about ghost towns. There's so many types of ghost towns. There's the Old West ones. There's current ones that have lights on. There's ones that were intentionally flooded. There's ones that were blown the fuck up. And there's so many, so many, so many more in the research that I did that we just couldn't couldn't talk about. Uh, there's definitely something to it when it comes to the paranormal and these abandoned places. There's no people, there's no life, there's no energy. So in my opinion, it leaves room for other energy and not just the energy that we see in our dimensions, especially towns like Bodie, Calico, Bannock, all those places that are old Western towns. Like you said before, there's so much murder and despair and bad energy there that it wouldn't cross my mind to even think that these places aren't haunted. I think stay away from certain places. That's why they tell you not to go to Dudley Town. You know, there's places like Green Lady, White Lady Cemetery in Connecticut, which have some weird shit. Not really ghost towns, but who knows? I think paranormal places are very interesting and frightening and cool at the same time. I believe ghost towns are very freaky, especially the ones when you're talking about the old west but even more so are the current ones like we talked about where they are fully manicured and they are built and they are just there empty eerie i think that's creepy in itself just it feels like too perfect i guess you would say mm. i would like to visit some of these places but uh, others i will steer very clear of i enjoy a ghost tour but to a certain extent i don't want to hear little kids laughing or crying when i go <laughs> to an abandoned town i will freak out i would love to get into more of them maybe in a few seasons we revisit ghost towns and do some more and just really dive back into it one wonderfully creepy episode this was I would love to do a whole episode on ghost stories. That would be a lot of fun, too. You know, mm. really crazy ghost stories. Slick Frog Sanders, we have come to your final thoughts. Let us know your final thoughts on Ghost Towns. Frog's final thought. Oh, all right. I got you. Ghost Towns are weird, man. That stuff is weird to me. The fact that these places even still exist it keeps me wondering why they're there. These old, rotten, dilapidated, crumbling towns. I can't doubt the fact that these places are haunted at all. If you've got a town with no people there, there's a reason no people are there. They're haunted. It's beyond reason. It's beyond arguing, in my opinion. I've always been a strong proponent of the supernatural, and it's beyond my reasonable doubt that these places are experiencing some paranormal activity to say the least but my biggest takeaway are, are why are these places still here 
why don't they just come through with bulldozers and just mow them over beyond historical value is there really any historical value all these places don't do tours all these places aren't monuments by any means it's just weird that they're even still there and like mike said it just so happens you might stroll through one of these places and hear children laughing and <laughs> weird stuff tumbleweed joe or whatever walking the boardwalk <laughs> i don't know freak you out and then you're never back you experience some traumatic paranormal experience and you're never back just it's my final thought demolish all the ghost towns mow them <laughs> over with bulldozers and plant some trees or something i think it has to do with proximity though like a lot of these ghost towns For are in the middle of fucking nowhere so why yeah so build a dollar general i don't know <laughs> <laughs> dollar general coming to Bodie. Yeah, put a Dollar General in every ghost town in America that's only 3,500. They build that many an hour. It's nothing. (laughs) Okay, Hushlings, that is going to do it for our episode on ghost towns. Was there anything that we missed? Should we have mentioned any other towns? Did we wake the dead? Let us know. Reach out to us. You can always get us at our email address at contact at hushhushsociety.com. Join us for our next debriefing as we explore America's involvement in harboring Nazi scientists. We're at it again, hushlings. Doctors, (laughs) engineers, and politicians after the end of World War II, absolving them of all their war crimes and mixing them into all the industries in the United States. This is known as Operation Paperclip. It'll be streaming everywhere Monday, August 8th. And on August 9th, it'll be streaming on the Paranormal Network video hd we will have another exclusive debriefing available on thursday august 18th only on patreon tune in on august 15th at 7 p.m eastern standard time for a debriefing where we will explore the conspiracy iceberg chart for our two-year anniversary that will be live on facebook two years two years two years baby One last thing, keep those pepperoni eyelids peeled for our live Twitter spaces, our Instagram live, our Twitch streams, and as always, our giveaways. If you are not part of our mailing list, make sure you head over to our website, hushhushsociety.com, sign up for our mailing list, and you will get also uh, exclusive news, exclusive giveaways, all exclusivity. Uh, You'll be a special person. We'll send you a cloak from Wish.com. Com. Everything's going to be amazing for it. you. You'll never get <laughs> it. It'll only fit. It'll only fit your head. <laughs> I ordered a black cloak off of Wish.com for like fifty-three cents, probably two and a half years ago, and I've never gotten it. It never came. <laughs> I'm so serious. I'm so serious. It never came. I'm feeling generous. I'm probably going to give something away soon. Thank you again for joining us for another debriefing with the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.